Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today I want to end this series called Ready or Not. Now I did not preach on this series last Sunday with it being Father's Day. But uh, as promised, I want to close this series today. And so let me review the first two weeks, and then we'll dive into today. The first week, we explored the return of Christ. Uh, I told you that one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith is when will Christ return? When is he coming back to receive his church? And though many have tried to predict his return, according to Scripture, no one knows the day or the hour. Jesus said he doesn't even know the day or the hour, that that is determined by the Father. And though we may not know what day that he is coming back on, we do know what kind of day he is coming back on. Uh, In Luke chapter 14, Jesus describes that day, and he said that the day of his return will be like any other day. It could be today. Uh, Jesus also told us some alarming news because he filled us in and told us that not everybody is going to make it. Not everybody will get to experience heaven. Some people will be left behind when he returns. Um, but that he is coming for those who are eagerly waiting for his return. And, And so I told you that first week, I said, we must develop a hunger and a desire for the return of Christ because he's coming back for those who eagerly await him. The second week, I tried my best to help you understand just a little bit of what heaven will be like. And, and I promise you, I didn't do it justice. But, but one of the first things that happens when you get to heaven is you get a new body. And, and I've seen some of you. I've, I've, I've looked at your shapes. And you need a new body. So this should excite you, you know. And it um, takes one to know one, right? Hey, um, the current pain and problems that we have with these earthly vessels those pains will cease to exist in eternity. If you are a child of God, you get a new body and you will not be subject to the pain and problems of this world. But another important fact about heaven is that your eternal reward is dependent upon what you did while you were on earth. Now listen to me because I don't want anybody in the room to to misunderstand me. So listen to me. We understand and here at this church, we believe there's, there's biblical evidence that your works cannot get you into heaven. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You are saved according to your faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You are saved by your faith. You are rewarded in heaven by your works. And I'll show you. Matthew 16 and verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. And so Jesus is going to reward us in heaven. Once you get there, you will be rewarded according to what you have accomplished on this earth for his kingdom. The Bible speaks of five. There may be more, but we know that the Bible speaks of five different crowns that we can be awarded in heaven. And they're all based on what we did here on earth. So if you want one of these crowns, you have to earn it here on earth and it'll be awarded to you once you get to heaven. And these crowns, They will serve a purpose. You may think, man, what do I need with a bunch of crowns? Well, what wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want a bunch of crowns? I mean, come on, man. We want crowns. Everybody wants crowns. But they do serve a purpose in our worship in heaven because the scripture tells us that in heaven, when we worship, we get to lay our crowns before the throne. And so the crowns that you're earning this side of heaven, 
when you are awarded these crowns in your worship to Christ, you get to lay your crowns down at the foot of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. You get to lay them there. And, and my question to you at the end of that sermon was, what will you have to offer him? Will you have crowns to lay at his feet? Praise God that you made it to heaven. But in your worship, will you have anything to offer him? And I saw some people here this past week serving at Vacation Bible School. And I'll tell you this. In my opinion, they have earned some extra crowns this past week. And they're going to get to lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus. They have earned something to worship him with. Amen? 13 years ago next month, 13 years ago next month, Mandy and I had the privilege of leading a mission team to one of the small Cayman Islands known as Cayman Brack to help facilitate their youth camps. And so we flew in on, on Saturday. You have to fly into Grand Cayman and then you get a smaller plane and you jump over to Cayman Brack. And we flew in on a Saturday and we did some snorkeling and swimming. And, and then on Sunday, we were going around to different churches. We split up into teams. There's only 1,200 people on the whole island at the time. And so, you know, small, just a few little churches. And we split up, and, and our team promoted the youth camps. And then the plan was Monday through Friday, we will um, work the youth camps. And at night, we would minister in the, in the night services for the camps. And, and, and it was, it was going to be a blast. The problem is that on Sunday, after we ministered in the, in, in the church, after lunch, I was out in a hammock out by the ocean. I mean, suffering for Jesus in a tropical paradise, man. Just right there. I was almost asleep. I was dozing off. And, and this, this one of my youth leaders came running up to me and he said, hurry, get up. She's been hit by a car. And, and I went running. And, and I, I think I broke records trying to get there. I know this. I was out of breath by the time I got there. But when I got there, Mandy is laying there. And what had happened, Mandy, my assistant and his wife, they had all found these, these old rusted out bicycles. And they were riding the bicycles up into town. And this lady comes around the corner, a little two-lane road, and she hits Mandy's bike from behind. And it ends ends up breaking Mandy's ankle. We're on the second day of a mission trip. Breaks her ankle. They have this small, small little one-room hospital. And, and the x-ray machine, it, 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 her ankle was so swollen, it couldn't even pick up all of the bones and stuff. It couldn't even see through it. And, and, and the big problem was, this was Sunday. The next flight back to the main island doesn't fly out until Thursday. So Mandy is stuck on Cayman Brack. And so she had crutches, she had a wheelchair, her room that she was chaperoning, it was up a flight of stairs. And so every day we were carrying her up and down the stairs and, and, and it, it was just, but she was a trooper, man. She decided I'm going to stick it out the whole week. If y'all are flying out Saturday, if I got to stay here till Thursday, I'm flying out with y'all on, on Saturday. And so she stayed the whole week. Well, a few months later, Mandy and I had to go back to Cayman Brack for a court case, uh, not because we were suing, but, but the government wanted to pursue this woman. Apparently, she was from Jamaica. I think maybe she was driving without a driver's license or something, and, and they wanted to pursue it. So we had to go back. Mandy had to testify, and they paid our way to go back. Now, most people would love that. They're like, man, tropical paradise, you're paying us to come back in. Mandy hated every second of it. She did not want to go back at all. I don't know if I'll ever get her to go back to the Cayman Islands. Uh, I mean, it, it's just not on her, on her radar. But but I was loving it up, man. I'm out there, you know, Mandy's sitting up on the beach, hating, hating life, hating being there. And I'm out there snorkeling and everything, you know. And so at this time, I didn't have 35 other people with me that I'm in charge of. So I'm enjoying it, you know, relaxing. 
And uh, once we, we flew back over to uh, Grand Cayman, we had a couple of extra days. We planned it to where we could sightsee a little bit around Grand Cayman. And so we, we were there. Uh, a friend of ours lives there, and, and he gave us a car. So we just kind of had you know, free reign to go around the island. And uh, while we were there, we visited a very unique place. It's located in West Bay on the island of Grand Cayman. And it's a place called Hell. That's the name of it. Anybody ever heard of Hell in the, in the Cayman Islands? That's the name of this place. It's called Hell, and it, it, it's made up of these dark, jagged limestone formations, and it's home to these large iguanas. I remember Mandy and I standing on this platform, and we would look out, and you would see, barely see these iguanas that blend in with the rocks. You would see them move every so often. It's roughly the size of a football field, and, and, and because of the dark rock formations, they've, they've named it hell. Well, the government, well, they were just not satisfied with just that. They wanted to create more of a, a, a touristy uh, opportunity, or tourist opportunity for people to come in. And so in hell, there is a post office where you can send postcards from hell. Yeah. Um, in hell, there is a rundown nightclub aptly named Club Inferno. That's the name of the nightclub. Uh, and of course, there's the, the famous or infamous uh, uh, gift shop called the Devil's Hangout, where you can buy a t-shirt that says, I've been to hell and back. It's a very interesting place. Um, you know, the Cayman Islands are very religious, very religious, very legalistic in a lot of ways. But, but it's strange because in hell you'll see these buildings. And if you look in the white letters, you'll see a scripture on the side of the building. And so they've got things decorated, but then all of a sudden they'll throw up a verse on the side of the building. And, and it's just a strange, strange place. It's very interesting, um, but it's become this tourist attraction in the middle of nowhere on this island. And I've been there. I did not buy the t-shirt, I promise, and I can honestly say this, don't waste your time going to hell. Don't. Don't waste your time going to hell. Hell is not worth it. And you should probably look at somebody next to you right now and say those same words. Look at somebody and tell them, hell is not worth it. Declare that over their lives right now. Tell them, hell is not worth it. Today is a difficult day for me as a minister. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I've told the staff in, in preparation this week, this is, this is one of the hardest, hardest sermons for me to prepare for. But I knew before we ever started this series that this was how we were going to end. I knew that God was leading me this direction. But, but out of nearly 20 years of full-time ministry, this is probably the hardest subject for me to preach on because I can't preach about hell and be joyous. I just can't. When you preach about hell, it has to be heartbreaking. But I have seen pastors through the years that, that they can. It, it's almost like they enjoy preaching about hell. They preach with an arrogance, trying to make you think that they are better than you. And, and they almost seem like they want sinners to bust hell wide open. Maybe you were raised in a church like that. Maybe, maybe you've seen that kind of, uh, of personality come out of a pastor. And, and I don't get it. I'll be honest with you. Because the fact that anyone may have to spend eternity in hell, it should break our hearts because it breaks his heart. We should never be okay with anyone going to hell. 
And this will mess with some of you. Because you have categories of sin. And the bottom line is sin separates us from God. And it doesn't matter how good of a person you are, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Scripture tells us that hell is your destination. You see, we like to think of, of someone who is a mass murderer, that there's never any redemption for him, or someone who abuses a child. And what you don't understand is it's not God's desire for anyone to experience hell. And we categorize this in our minds. I'm telling you, grace will mess you up. It will completely destroy your theology, or at least what you think about heaven and hell. But it's not God's desire that anyone, no matter how horrible of a person they are, no matter how much you think they deserve hell, it's not God's desire for them to go there. Because if you really want to be honest, we all deserve hell. It's only by the grace of God that we don't have to go to hell. But we all deserve it. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, is what the word says. We all deserve hell, but by God's grace, we all don't get to go to hell, or we all don't have to go to hell. But it's not his desire. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. That's his promise to return. It says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, listen to this. He is being patient for your sake. He's being patient for you. He's hesitating. He's waiting. He's not sending Christ back yet because he's being patient for you. It goes on to say, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So you might be a murderer sitting in prison, but if you find a, a way to repent, if you find a way to, to, to let God's grace fill your life through the power of Jesus Christ, you can be saved from hell. And, and, and that is just strange. That's what grace does. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's God's desire for us, for everybody in this room, for everybody who has ever been, for everybody who, who will come. It is God's desire that they experience eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And during this series, I have given you great hope as to what life looks like for those who put their hope in Jesus Christ. But as we end this series today, I'm compelled to share with you the alternative to heaven. And it's hard. It's hard to preach this. I'm not going to lie to you. Because it feels like there's no hope when you preach this. And the reality is, you don't have to settle for heaven. If there's something about heaven that is not appealing to you, or if you just simply don't want to believe in it, you don't have to settle for it. That's how much God loves you, is that he has given you a choice. 
Because of his grace and because of his mercy, you have a choice. His grace provided a way out of your sins, yet he did not force you to choose that way. You still have a choice. He did not create you as a slave under his dictatorship. You still have a choice. He created you with a free will to choose, even though he knows what's best for you. He loves you enough to give you that choice. And so you don't have to settle for heaven. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, said, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. C.S. Lewis said, All that are in hell, choose it. A recent study revealed that 44% of people in America believe that hell is a real place of suffering and judgment. 44% of the people in America really believe that it's a place of of suffering and judgment. 62% of the people in America believe that they are going to heaven when they die. And for some strange reason, that number keeps dropping annually. But only 2% of the population believes that they are going to hell when they die. I would say we're extremely optimistic. What's alarming to me is this means that 36% of our population believes that there is another alternative besides heaven or hell or they're just simply not sure. 36% believes there's something different, something else. And a staggering 56% don't believe that hell is real. The severity of hell is simply not realized in our society. And our churches are partially what's to blame. We as pastors, we like preaching you messages that make you feel good about yourself. But when you start feeling the weight of a world that's dying and going to hell, It'll make you preach different. When you wake up to the reality of what hell really is, it'll make you live life different. I'm reminded of the Hank Williams Jr. song that says, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I just assume stay home. Well, Hank, you can choose not to go, but staying home is not an option. He goes on in the song to say, if they don't have a grand old Opry like they do in Tennessee, just send me to hell or New York City. It would be about the same to me. Now, I've been to New York City. I don't know if you have, but I've been to New York City, and, and I understand the sentiment here. Because there's parts of New York City that are, it's just rough. I'm not going to lie to you. There's parts I never want to go back to, but it's not hell. The ignorance of just statements like that right there proves to me that we do not understand hell. We've reduced the word hell to unpleasant living conditions. We must come to an understanding that hell is real and that hell is just not an afternoon in Florida when your AC goes out. 
hell is so much more severe. And we as Christians, we need to have an understanding of what hell really is because our mandate is to go and make disciples. And if we don't understand how crucial this is, if we don't understand more about hell, then we are not going to live out our mandate. We are not going to live out what he's called us to do with our lives. And at the beginning of the series, I explained to you that many of us do not know much about heaven, but I also believe that many of us are ignorant of hell also, because if we truly understand what hell is like, we would do everything that we possibly could to avoid it. We wouldn't draw the line in the sand and see how close we can get to it without sinning. No, if we really understood what hell was like, we would draw the line in the sand and we would see how far away we could stay away from it. If we really understood hell, we would be doing everything we possibly could to be a roadblock on the way to hell for people that are passing by us. If we really knew how bad hell is going to be, we would not watch people die without at least trying. If we knew how bad it was, we would exhaust every effort to save people from experiencing hell. Some people think that they want to live their lives the way they want to live their lives, doing whatever they want to do, and in the end, if they don't make it into heaven, by some chance they don't get in, then they think they're just going to be thrown into a lake of fire and there they, their body will be consumed and it's over. That's the end of it right there. But hell is not just a fire that consumes the wicked and then it's over. What you have to understand is that we were created as eternal beings. Whether we are found righteous or wicked, we live forever. You will never die. Matthew 25 and 46 says, And these will go away into eternal punishment. That is everlasting punishment. It lasts forever. You may want it to end, but it will never end. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so whether you are righteous or wicked, you will experience eternal life in one of those two places. You will spend eternity in heaven or hell. You can ignore this fact. You can ridicule it. You can make fun of it. You can even choose not to believe it if you want to. But the reality is that you will either experience heaven or hell. It's reported that every 60 minutes, approximately 287 people die and enter into eternity. Every 60 minutes, 287 people die. That's roughly five people every minute of every day that face the reality of heaven or hell. That means that while I am preaching this sermon this morning, approximately 35 minutes or so, nearly 175 people on this planet will wake up in eternal peace or eternal pain. That 175 people, while I'm talking right now, they find the truth of eternal life whether it's pain or whether it's being in the presence of Christ. Because Hebrews 9 and 27 says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, we will all die, and then we will all be judged. And, and here's my question to you. Will you be adjudicated guilty 
or not guilty, righteous or wicked, because you will be judged. I'm pretty sure that this is something that we need to pay attention to. I think this is something that we need to have a knowledge of. Because many people, they simply do not buy into the fact that this same caring, loving God who healed the disease, gave sight to the blind, opened the deaf ears, that he's also the same God that gave the most vivid pictures of hell in the New Testament. And they just don't put two and two together. But it's only separated by a few chapters, sometimes within the same chapter. That the same loving and caring God also gave us the greatest warning of what life can be like if you do not receive him as as your Savior. The words of Christ are recorded in over 1,850 verses in the New Testament. And of the recorded words of Christ, 13% of them deal with hell and judgment. 13% of the words that are recorded of Christ deal with hell and judgment. You know what? It might surprise you to know that Jesus spoke about hell more than he talked about heaven. And you can't have Jesus without the teachings of hell also. Some people think that this is something we need to ignore because it doesn't bring people hope. But you can't have grace. You can't have mercy without having hell also. You can't have forgiveness without having an understanding of hell. You can't be saved unless you know what you've been saved from. And so I just want to give you a few of the things that Jesus had to say about hell. We don't have time for me to cover everything, but if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stay in the book of Matthew, and I just want to read a few things to you that Jesus had to say about hell. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to start at verse 13, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus said those who get to experience heaven are few. If you go on over to chapter 10 and verse 28. Jesus says. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You go over to chapter 13. Verses 47 through 50, and Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. Listen to this analogy he gives. He says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Maybe you remember the the parable of the talents that Jesus told. And when Jesus shared this parable, he specifically talked about the one servant who, who was not prepared for his master's return. He had not taken the money and invested it like his master wanted him to, so he wasn't ready for the return of the master. And in, in chapter 25 of Matthew, in verse 30, Jesus says, and cast the worthless servant. These are harsh words. Listen to what Jesus says. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus was full of mercy. He was full of grace, but he was warning us that a day is coming that if you don't receive that mercy and grace, that there is going to be a judgment. Now see, what what we don't understand is that the word hell did not enter into human vocabulary until almost 700 years after Christ. And so when Christ is talking, he's actually not saying the word hell. That, that is a modern translation to help us understand. It is a word that was not even created then. And so it is a word that we have given to misery and to suffering. But when Christ spoke, he was very intentional with how he described eternal punishment for those that do not receive him as their Lord and Savior. In an effort to express the severity of what life for the unrighteous will be like, Jesus decided that he was going to use a literal place outside of the walls of Jerusalem to describe the afterlife for those that do not accept him as their Lord and Savior. And so as he would teach people on many occasions... He would stand before them and he would talk about this specific place because he knew that in their minds they could take a journey there. As they're listening to him, he would mention this place and their minds would immediately know what he was talking about. And the Greek word that Jesus used many, many times to describe hell was the word Gehenna. The Greek word Gehenna, which means the valley of the sons of Hinnom. And what you need to understand about this was that this valley was a city dump. When you wanted to discard of your trash in Jerusalem, you took it out the gate into this valley, and in Gehenna is where you would throw your trash out. If there's other things around your house you wanted to discard, you took them to Gehenna and you would throw them in. And and, and what happened at Gehenna is there was this, this everlasting fire. They never let the fire go out. It's the city dump. And if you don't keep it burning, then, then the, the, the fire or the trash is going to mount up. And so they would constantly keep the, the, the flame eternal, everlasting. The flame would not stop. And so they would take their trash and they would throw it in. But what is so unique about this place is that criminals, after they were crucified, they would take their bodies And they would throw them in Gehenna for them to burn. If there was a poor man, a beggar, that was found dead on the side of the street, and he didn't have a tomb to be buried in, they would take his body and they would throw it into Gehenna so that it would be consumed by the fire. This was not a pleasant place. You didn't take your kids with you to the city dump. It was an awful place, but it gets worse because this place had history. 
It was there hundreds of years earlier, all the way back to the Old Testament books of, of Second Chronicles and Jeremiah, that this place was used to sacrifice children in worship to the false Canaanite god of Melech. It was so bad. The Old Testament tells us that God cursed that place. I don't know if you've ever smelled hair burning, but it's an awful smell. I remember in high school, I had a masterpiece of a haircut called a mullet. And I remember one day I was, I was in the kitchen talking with my mom. And as we're talking, I, I leaned against the, the counter. And all of a sudden there was this smell. And I thought to myself, what is mom cooking? This is awful. But what I didn't know is mom had a candle on the counter behind me. And I had leaned into the candle and my hair caught on fire on the back. I mean, like Michael Jackson, like, you know. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> it was the most awful smell. Can you imagine what Gehenna would smell like? It had been a place where bodies had been burned for years. And out of everything Jesus could choose to describe what eternal punishment will look like for those that die without him, he chooses to use Gehenna numerous times throughout the New Testament. When he would refer to hell, the place that we call hell, he would talk about Gehenna, and those people, they would know exactly what he was talking about, and they knew that they wanted nothing to do with that. That that is not where they would want to spend eternity, and Jesus knew that, that, that this was severe and that he had to get this message through to them. Jesus talked about this place more than he talked about heaven. And I know this alarms some of you. And it's not that we should focus on hell more than we do heaven. But Jesus knew the extent of eternal punishment. And he knew that he had to drive this message through their minds. Because it's not his will that any should perish. It's not his will that any would have to experience a devil's hell. But there's one subject that he spoke of more than hell. Only one. But there is one subject that he spoke of more than hell. And it was the subject of salvation. I couldn't leave you today just smoldering in Gehenna. I'm still a preacher of the gospel. And I believe that there is hope in the end. And Jesus spoke about salvation more than any other subject. Because he wanted people to know, you do not have to settle for hell either. You may choose not to settle for heaven, but if you want a way out, you do not have to settle for hell. You do not have to plan that. You don't have to go down that road. You don't have to go to that destination. If you want a way out, I'm going to provide you a way out of Gehenna. I'm going to provide you a way out of hell. 
John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. He said there's a way out. There is a way out. If you will believe that I'm the son of God, if you will allow me to take control of your life, if you will allow me to be your Lord and your Savior, there is a way out. Mark 16 and 16, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. John 14 and 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means all roads don't lead to heaven. Don't believe that. All roads don't lead to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the only way. If you want to get to heaven, you can only get there through me. But you've got to believe that I am God's son. You've got to believe that I am going to be crucified for you, that I'm going to rise again. I can give you eternal life, but I'm the only way. There's no other way. He gave us hope. He didn't leave us wasting away suffering in Gehenna. He said, I will give you a way out. Why? Because Jesus believes in hell. You might not, but Jesus believes in hell. He believes in it so much that he left the throne room of heaven to come to this earth to become like you and I so that he can show us how to get there. That's how much he believes in hell. He believes in hell so much that he was willing to die for me. even when I don't deserve it. He knew that I couldn't handle it. I want you to think about this question. If Jesus is your Savior, what is he saving you from? Gehenna. Hell. If you're being saved, you're being pulled from the flames. I still hear the question, how could a loving God send someone to hell? And this question continues to come up. I, I have read more articles this week where celebrities keep saying this over and over and over, trying to justify people's lifestyles. How can a loving God send someone to hell? And, and that's the wrong question because the right question is, how could anyone resist a loving God that saves you from hell? How can you resist that? That's the question that needs to be asked. Because when you fully understand hell and you fully understand the price that was paid so you don't have to experience it, that changes your mindset and there's some of you in the room right now that you're thinking about it. You, di you didn't know that you were going to walk into the room today really thinking about hell and, and putting this much thought into it. But, but let me tell you something. You don't have a choice but to think about it because Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 says he has put eternity into the hearts of men. That means we are always thinking about eternity. We might not believe it. We might call ourselves an atheist. But deep down in the back of our mind, we wonder what happens after this life because he's put eternity in the hearts of men and at some point in time, you think about it. 
I heard an old preacher one time say this, and, and I've heard many, many variations of this. But he said, I would rather enter death with Jesus and not need him than to enter death without him and need him. You really need to consider what happens after this life. Because if you enter into eternity without him, it's Gehenna. It's hell. And that's heartbreaking. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.